Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. There are a few terms that I, I, I've noticed that interest me here. First of all, you often refer to public schools as government-run schools. And, and that's what they are, right? I, I, people don't say it enough, but that is really clearly what they are. It's government-funded, whether it's local, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a government-run school. And the problem with that is then that the state can control what's taught, Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, we shouldn't call them public schools. They're not open to the public. Families have actually gone to jail for lying about their address to get into better, quote unquote, public schools. They've gone schools. to jail? Jail? Yeah, look at look in, look it up. Go, just Google Ohio mom jail uh, residence schools. Uh, you'll, okay. you'll find it. And families have also gotten fined for lying about their address. So they're not open to the public like a public park, per se. They're okay. not public goods by the pure economic definition. They're not accountable to the public in any meaningful way. They are run by the government. They are funded by the government, or at least the taxpayer. They are assigned by the government. They're compelled by the government through compulsory education laws. They are government schools. And some people get upset about that. But my question to them is, why does the truth hurt so much? Why why does the fact that these institutions are run by the government upset you? Well, it's because everybody understands that the government isn't really good at anything. And it, (laughs) it does a disastrous job at running the schools and we have about over 50 million kids in government-run schools today where they're being indoctrinated in a certain way. And um, that rightfully upsets parents, but the, the best solution is to allow these families to choose something else instead of forcing them into those institutions. Well, it's it's true. It is kind of compelled. You know, you're supposed to, go, you know, you're, you get a welfare check if your kid isn't in school and you're supposed to go to these schools assigned to these neighborhoods and so on and so forth. And we talk about academic disparities between neighborhoods. You mentioned the term because there are a lot of alternatives. Magnet school is what you ended up attending. What is a magnet school versus, you know, charter and all the other things we hear about? Yeah, they're pretty similar, but magnet schools are still run by the district or run by the government. So I would still define a magnet school as a government-run school uh, because it is, uh, just based on the definition. A charter school can be run by a private entity. It's still funded by public sources. So some every state that I've seen, including Minnesota, they, they define charter schools as public schools, but they are kind of these quasi government quasi-private entities. So uh, it's kind of like a halfway point between public and private school where it's run privately, but it's also pretty heavily regulated by the government still. Uh, The government controls uh, who enters the market with the charter school sector. It's funded by taxpayer dollars. They they can't charge tuition. Then you have private schools, which can charge tuition. They have more autonomy. Um, And then uh, the, the purest form of school choice, I would say, however, is something called an education savings account, which Arizona just passed, uh, the, yeah. which is the gold standard of school choice policy. Every single family in Arizona will be able to take their kids' state-funded education dollars, which happens to be about $7,000 in Arizona. It goes to an education savings account. If you like your public school, you can keep your public school or your government school, <laughs> it, but for real. But if not, about half of that money that would have followed you to the government school goes to an education savings account. You could use it for a private school for tuition and fees. You could use it for private tutoring, textbooks, curriculum, uh, micro schools, home-based education expenses. The money follows the student. 
in the purest way possible and families can customize their children's education. What do you think are the biggest reasons that parents want school choice? Because, you know, I could see it being very easy for people to just say, ah, there's a neighborhood, you know, elementary school three blocks away. My kids can walk when it's warm enough and uh, it's it's fine. It's they're going through they're learning. So so but you're you're talking about three fourths of families want this. What do they want so badly? And, and, and how how will they use if they do keep their kid in public school? What happens to this money? Does it just go to that public school? Yeah, the government schools in Arizona spend about $14,000 per student uh, per year. So if you like your public school, again, you can keep that. The full $14,000 of your ESA essentially goes towards the government-run school system. And look, just because you want a choice doesn't mean that you necessarily need to exercise that choice. But it does give families leverage and an incentive for the public school to listen to them when they show up at the school board meetings. If you have an exit option, well, maybe those school board members will actually listen to you instead of label you as domestic terrorists. And um, so just because 75 percent of parents want the option doesn't mean that they're all going to exercise that option uh, right away. And look, the best argument for this is that we should fund students, not institutions. We should fund students, not systems, just like we do with everything else. With higher education, we have Pell Grants. You can use your Pell Grant at a public or community college if you want, but you could also take the Pell Grant funding to a private, religious, or non-religious university. The funding follows the decision of the student for higher education. For pre-K, we have the Head Start or other pre-K programs where you don't have to take that money to a residentially assigned government-run provider of pre-K. That the families can pick their pre-K providers. The same thing with food stamps. Just imagine if we force low-income families to take their food stamp dollars to a residentially assigned government-run provider of groceries. That would be absolutely ridiculous. Uh, it doesn't work that way with any other industry or just about any other taxpayer-funded initiative. It's ludicrous that with K-12 education, we haven't done it the way that Arizona is going to do it going forward. We should fund the people not the buildings. And families are figuring that out, especially after the past couple of years where the, yeah. the, the, the school system shut itself down to hold children's education hostage for multiple multi-billion dollar ransom payments from the government. And then families got to see what the heck was going on in the classroom. And so families who thought that their kids were in great public schools because of the ratings by the state or because of the standardized test scores started to see that there's something else, uh, else going on that the school wasn't aligned with their values. Families want education, not indoctrination. So they're pushing back. Families have woken up and they're never going back to sleep. You know, it's interesting when you bring up the word indoctrination, some people bristle at that word. They think that, what are you telling me that my kids are being brainwashed in school? It, it's a, it's, it's one of those words that's kind of right. It kind of lights a fire, uh, but it's hard to disagree with Give me your description. How would you illustrate the indoctrination that's taking place in most government-run schools? Well, they're focusing on political issues in the classroom as opposed to just the basics, math, reading, and writing. And I actually think with school choice, as it has improved test scores in, in other places, it can also improve the likelihood that schools focus on the basics as opposed to political topics such as critical race theory or the gender ideology uh, that's, that's happening in some classrooms because it's in, it's in a school's best interest not to upset its customers, whether that means going too far left or too far right. So if the government-run schools had an incentive to cater to the needs of their customers, they would have a strong incentive 
not to focus on divisive topics and instead just focus on education. Because if they were to go too far left or too far right or introduce politics into the classroom, then they're going to upset someone just because the reality is families disagree about how they want their kids raised and families have different value sets. And that's okay. The problem is with the current system, it's a one size fits all disaster where it's by definition going to fail for some segment of the population. So if they're focusing on divisive topics, they're, they're almost guaranteed to lose some customer base if there is school choice. But if they focus on the basics, they won't have to worry about that as much as, as long as they're doing a good job with those basics. There, there are a couple things that come to mind right there as you speak about that. I've been reading a lot, watching a lot of film. I, I, I feel like I'm back working my football job, only I'm focused on other things. And one of the things that I've seen in my own kids' school and have talked to the appropriate administrative people about is this critical race theory, this gender ideology. I'm, I'm unclear on why K through 12 would find this important enough to devote the amount of time they're devoting to it. And the other part about it that, uh, that I get worried about constantly is this notion that some schools have determined math is racist or that kids of color should not be expected to achieve the same as, as white children. I, I find that sickening that, 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 mm-hmm. that, that idea that a teacher or a principal or anyone involved in the education system would underestimate a human being by his or her immutable characteristics. What do you see happening there? And, and am I overblowing mm-hmm. the picture? No, I think you're about right. I think it was either Oregon or Washington. They actually yeah. just passed this, you know, social justice, racial equity um, uh, require. Or they they loosen the requirements on graduation, so you don't have to actually uh, read or write or do math in order to graduate from high school in the name of social justice. But that's the complete opposite of of equity, or, or at least social justice, because this um, this isn't helping the students who graduate not not understanding those. This is only going to hurt them later on in life. And I will say there are two uh, approaches that those on the right have taken to remedy the problem of politically divisive topics in the classroom, such as critical race theory, is they'll, they'll either go from the top down or the bottom up. And you have some states that are implementing the CRT bans, for example. But, like Florida. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of states are doing that, Tennessee, Idaho, uh, Iowa. But the thing is, we have videos surfacing now where the administrators and teachers are admitting on camera with these investigative undercover journalists that they're still doing it and just calling it something else. So they're still implementing this uh, teaching math through a CRT lens, even if it isn't explicitly in the curriculum, they're still doing it in the classroom or they're just implementing it in the curriculum and calling it social emotional learning or just mental health. So the top-down bans don't work. I think the better solution is from the bottom up, allowing families to choose institutions for education that best align with their family's values. Uh, that way you'd have a, uh, an incentive to not focus on politically divisive concepts in the public schools. And at the same time, families wouldn't have to prove that the schools are uh, uh, teaching nonsense. Instead, they could just don't have to explain themselves and just take their just kids' leave. education dollars yeah. somewhere else. And yeah. that way you'd... you'd I think this is the only way forward through freedom. 
as opposed to force. And it's actually more likely to achieve the stated goal of having schools that focus more on the basics. All right, Corey. So parents who are living in states that don't yet have these education savings accounts or this kind of new freedom that they have in Arizona, what should they be doing? What can they be doing? This time with your kid goes by so fast that you want to try to move the process along so it actually impacts their education while they're still under your roof. Yeah, so whenever a bill is introduced in your state, you need to rally around that bill, go to the Capitol and testify, or even just email your legislators to let them know that you support the uh, proposal to fund students as opposed to systems. Uh, A lot of states have already been introducing these bills. Not all of them have passed them, obviously, but uh, the more that there's bottom-up pressure coming from the grassroots, coming from families, either whether that's through social media, via emails, or showing up and testifying at the Capitol in support of these bills, those, those, those actions can go a long way. But if it doesn't, and the politicians still don't listen to you, you have to show up not just at the school board meetings, but take it a step further and go to the ballot box and fire any politician who wants to come out against parental rights in education. This should become, and it is emerging already, coming out against parental rights is emerging as a form of political suicide. Just look at how how that worked out for Terry McAuliffe in Virginia, who said that, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. What an idiotic statement to make. Glenn Youngkin leaned into parental rights and won on the issue of education in a state that went 10 points to Biden just the year before. And uh, look what happened to the National School Board Association. They, they tried to label parents as domestic terrorists after colluding with the Biden administration. That didn't work out for them. 26 states left in the past six months because of that, uh, uh, them overplaying their hand or at least uh, letting the mask slip and showing parents that they hate them. So parents can band together and push back, but you have to do it that way. You have to get together and and, pow- and there's power in numbers when it comes to politics. You can't just go out on your own. You got to find groups of people to push back together to really become a new special interest group in K to 12 education to change the power dynamic and win and get politicians to listen to you. But the the, the other issue is that there are people on the other side who are so quick. I, I tweeted out about one yesterday and I got pushed back that was racially motivated, suggesting that this idea was somehow racist. And to me, again, it's anything but. It's just like every kid, every kid, every kid should have access to a great education, not just some. The the government-run school system that's residentially assigned is the purest form of systemic racism if there ever was one in the United States today. Based on the left's own definition, there are disproportionate outcomes by race in the government school system, and we can even trace it historically. The segregated government-run schools are remnants of redlining from the 1930s in the United States. Those The lines that were drawn a long time ago closely mirror the lines of the school districts today. And so you have all these problems in the current system. What's truly racist is forcing low-income families to send their kids to failing government schools yeah. and, and trapping them by zip code. It's more equitable or it provides more equality of opportunity to allow every single family, like you said, to take their kids' education dollars to the education providers of their choosing. The most advantaged in society already have school choice in one way or the other. Allowing the funding to follow the child allows for more families to have opportunities. That's an equalizer. 
And yeah. so everybody should be for this. It shouldn't be a partisan issue. The problem is the teachers unions disproportionately donate to the Democrats as opposed to the Republicans. The Randy Weingarten's union just this year in 2022 so far has donated 99.997% of campaign contributions to Democrats as opposed yeah. to Republicans. That's the American I'm, Federation I'm surprised it's not just 100%. I'm really surprised it's not just 100%. It's a, it's a rounding, it's a measurement error or something. Maybe, yeah, maybe. yeah. <laughs> probably, probably is. A uh, couple quick questions for you to, to finish up. Could this country survive if we got rid of the Department of Education? Oh, yeah. It should have never been born in 1979. Not, uh, the word education is not in the Constitution. Outcomes haven't gotten any better. Spending has gone up. Teachers aren't paid any better than they were. I mean, just think about since 1970, we've increased per people education expenditures by 152 percent after in real terms after adjusting for inflation in the U.S. But teacher salaries have only gone up by about 8 yeah. percent. So the money isn't making its way into the classroom because it's a huge government uh, monopoly that has no incentive to spend that money wisely. So school choice would actually help teachers and parents at the same time because competition in the market for goods and services is good for customers and families, but competition in the labor market is also good for teachers. And there's yeah. been five studies on the topic, all finding that school choice leads to higher teacher salaries in the public schools too. It's a win-win situation. There's no reason to be against this. Yes, competition breeds success. Uh, a rising tide lifts all boats, all of that stuff, all the cliches. You can throw them at this situation as well. And then the you mentioned Randy Weingarten. I, I bristle because I, I'm sure she's a fine human being, but her ideas about what school should be, her ability to... I guess, sway people in a way that I, I just don't understand. I mean, I listen to her and I just scratch my head. And and the way that the National Education Association influenced all the COVID lockdowns and so forth, and they keep saying, yes, we want kids back in school, but it's got to be safe, you know, <laughs> as though, as though, and, and this masking of toddlers, it's just, I, I want to tear my hair out when I talk about these issues. What, what, why does this National Education Association exist and, and what keeps it alive? We need to get rid of the federal charter for the National Education Association. I have no idea why the NEA has a federal charter. I mean, it, it happened a long time ago. There was a bill introduced this year to get to get rid of it. There's no reason that there should be a federal charter for the NEA. But look, um, Randy Weingarten has been horrible. She's at the AFT for so long and she keeps overplaying their hand. It's like nonstop gaslighting from the teachers unions after they held children's education hostage to secure all this funding from taxpayers. Yeah. It, was, it was a form of extortion, essentially. Yeah. But you know what? We should give her an award for being the best inadvertent advocate of school choice and homeschooling over the past couple of years than we could have ever imagined. We should thank Randy Weingarten for her service, for overplaying her hand and, and awakening a sleeping giant, which happens to be these parents who want more of a say in their kids' education. Parents have woken up and they felt powerless in 2020, but they're going to make sure that they fight to make sure they never feel powerless like that ever again. And we can all thank Randy Weingarten. And the the, the best part about it is it's going to resolve this these problems and 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 uh, issues that the, the the teachers unions have have pushed for over the past couple of years is going to lead us to free families from the, their depraved clutches once and for all. 
Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.